Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. What's up, everybody? It's Joe LaPuma. You are listening to the Complex Sneakers Podcast. New year, but the same crew is here, as always. Mr. Matt Welty. Here I am. New year on the same bullshit. Right? Okay. All right. <laughs> and of course, look at he's rubbing this, he's rubbing the sand out of his eyes because he just got back from a tropical vacation. Our guy's back. He's here for another year. Mr. Brendan Dunn, how are we? I'm back, but I might still be in a different time zone. Okay. I'm gonna try and bring that energy though. When'd you get back? Um, yesterday morning at 7am, I, I was, I was in a tropical locale, but I want to say the PSA up top, I was fully COVID tested. I was abiding by all government regulations to, to go to Hawaii for the, for this quick trip to see some friends. You were to a place that if not the dry snitch, but well, if you did, he not the dry, first same, one of the year, no, same bullshit. No, but I, I, I didn't know because I had heard that Hawaii is like one of those places where it's like they're very serious about people traveling there. And, yeah. you know, they're like throwing people in jail for not following the protocol and whatnot. Are you kidding him being, being him in jail? He I saw him on how many <laughs> how many sneaker accounts in Hawaii did I see this guy on? He no. had a, he had a key to the to the state. Shout out to Truist. That's a good store. I, I, I did wanted, swing by Truist in Honolulu. They got some incredible stuff in there. They shop anything. No, I did not buy anything, but okay. they did hold me down with some socks. So thank you to them, and thank you to my travel companion. Okay. Look at a nice little <laughs> nod, and we'll leave it at that. Okay? But uh, we, we missed – you know, we were, we've been off. We did pre-recorded episodes, mm-hmm. and we missed yep. some big news, man. And the first thing we got to talk about, Mr. Jerry Lorenzo, a guest of the podcast, Adidas Basketball. The deal's done. Mm-hmm. How are we feeling? The deal is done. Is that a, is that a pun right there? Yeah, Brendan. Brendan, you were you were fishing around, and you kind of had the story. I don't know how transparent we could be, but you kind of had the story for a couple months. You and another colleague of ours, right? Zach Dubasic. Yeah, he he tipped me off to the scoop, and we were working on it, and we had it ready to go about a month ago. But we walked away from it. We weren't totally sure on all the details, so it didn't seem right at the time, and then it popped up. But we were still able to uh, get on top of it and break it. So we're happy about that. And how do we feel? I think it's going to be good. I'm excited. It's a big pickup for Adidas basketball, and they need it right now. And I think Jerry Lorenzo can bring a lot of new and interesting ideas to them. And, yeah, I'm excited to see. You know, it just means more competition, and that's always good for consumers. Definitely. And you know what I envisioned in my head? I don't know. You know sometimes that you envision something, and you're like, did I think about this before it happened? Or is this so such a bullseye, the Adelette 
announcement that he's wearing the he's wearing the sandals in the Instagram. I was like, if this for some reason I drummed this up in my head, and of course that's <laughs> you, that was you manifested it, Joe. Yeah, I manifested it, and sure enough, Jerry announces like the second or third post in the in the sandals, those classic Adidas sandals. Welty, as the, the resident Adidas guy, I would say, even though you put two Nikes in your top five of 2020, how are we feeling about it? Controversial. Yeah, Ooh. got a lot of Instagram comments. Yeah. No, not controversial, but with Jerry, I think it's one of those cases where me personally, like fear of God's not something that I would care to wear, but I really respect Jerry and what he does as far as his work goes. Um, so like personally, I'm not overly excited about seeing a fear of God Adidas basketball shoe, but I understand how big a fear of God Adidas basketball shoe is for Adidas. And I also feel like just being a fan of the brand, even if you don't want the product that he's creating, mm-hmm. I think it's good when someone like that buoys the whole brand up to yeah. to another level. Mm-hmm. So the other stuff that you're interested in can possibly get funded more and, and be better as well and get seen in a more positive light. And they are lifting up. They, there's, there's more big stuff coming from Adidas basketball in 2021. But we'll talk about that later. I'm definitely looking forward to it. And I think Jerry... You know, Jerry has a knack of making product that people care about and, and product that moves. So going to be very interesting. Let's talk about it, though. The reaction to our top five lists. I woke up Saturday morning. Uh, Were people mad? I, was- yeah, I mean, the, the, the hate wasn't like the hate was so off base. And it was like, it was well, to, to your credit, you always say personal favorites. Like, I don't know how much we could spell it out. Personal yeah. favorites. That's not saying that I think. The yes. ACG AO was a bigger shoe than the Ben and Jerry's Chunky Dunk, guys. Let's read the fine print sometimes. I got so many it's comments about print. that. It's the bold it's, print. I know. It's these the were our title. favorites. I know. These were our favorites. Like I muted the Twitter thread. The thing that got me mad was, so there was people who were mad at me in the DMs who were like, you're trying to tell me that if there was no price involved and you could just choose between either shoe that you're going to pick um, – one of the shoes that I selected, or you're going to pick a gray New Balance over the Dior Jordan 1. And I was, and they're like, hey, by the way, I'm the biggest fan of the podcast. I'm like, have you, do you listen to the <laughs> <Yeah>. fucking podcast? <laughs> so I was like, do you, it's like, we so keep that energy. Tell, you yes. I was like, have you, do you, have you listened to anything that I've said over the past year? You probably yes. maybe figure out that I'm not the biggest fan of the Chunky Donkey. Right. or Dior Air Jordan 1. So why are you surprised that those aren't my top five favorite sneakers of the year? Be aware, when we do our personal list, when these three people who are on this podcast do our personal list, it is our favorite shoes of the year. It's a lot of shoes that are, to Welty, what you always say, by the door. So we're not, again, no way are we saying that uh, ACG for $75 had a bigger impact than even the Dior one, but these are our personal favorites. And, you know, listeners of the podcast should realize that. Also, to give him some credit, one quote that I think that applies to this where the people who are trying to say that, you know, the only sneakers you should have liked this year were Dior ones, uh, Chunky Dunkies. What's another shoe? Brendan Strangelove Dunks that you mm-hmm, still don't yeah. see the vibe on. Um, but to quote Mayer, who I think he may have said this on this program or on Full Size Run, if your whole collection is grails, then you're not a sneakerhead. Talk Ooh. about it. Go ahead, Mayer, who I called yesterday to just get back up on the clot Air Max One significance. <laughs> 
The receipts. And he, uh, yeah. You know what, what Mayor said? I don't want to speak to him. And I was like, Mayor, this is a big deal. I was like, I remember being in your closet a couple months ago. And like, if they were my size, I would try to buy them off of you. Those Clot Air Max ones coming back. And he was like, "Kiss the death joints with yeah. the clear sections." Oof. He was. We like, had a, we had a discussion the other day, in, just for yeah, yeah, can, we, yeah. can we talk about it? Yeah, for I mean, we don't just say names, but but no, but a few coworkers yeah. tried to argue with us that the Clot Air Max huge, One man. it wouldn't. We were like trying to put together something where it's like the most anticipated shoes of 2021 that we know about so far, and knowing that that shoe may potentially be coming back, the argument was is that that shoe isn't that big isn't that important and the audience isn't going to care about it. Don, you were quiet. What do you think? I do think it's going to be a big shoe. It's, I do think uh, it's going to be a big shoe. To me, it's one of those, it's early complex sneaker era. It's one of those, you know, I wrote the blurb for the most anticipated. I think the Supreme Blazers came out that year as well. And it was 2006. It was a great year for, for kind of releases like that. But that one, man, I always, I just remember it on the pages of complex. I remember going back to it and seeing it online and never being able to get it. Mayers, to his credit, was like, you know, listen, people always talk about the DQM Bacon 90. He was like, mm -hmm. I put these right there with them. Yeah. I'm, I'm so glad we're back on the bullshit. We're right yes, back to we the, are. the Slack arguments. It feels like just yesterday, you know, I was feeling the Pacific water rush through my Yeezy foam runners and as, as I walked the sands of Electric Beach, you know, <laughs> paddling out to the mokes, word to Sarah Honda. And now we're, we're, like Wealthy said, we are Back in the bullshit. You guys ever actually caught a caught a wave? Like really, really caught a wave? I did, but I always yeah. used to flip over and, and I'm not It's an incredible feeling. It is, but it's also a little scary. It's, it's, it's scary, a little scary. The boogie will you board. Catch that shit? Do people still call boogie board? Is that what I they have call the boogie it? board? That's going. the official name. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I used to love it. And then also sometimes the waves would come a little crazy, and then I would not. I would have to sit out the beach for two to three days what, on what vacation. What was the beach you were at growing up? We were in Delray. We were in Delray at the at uh, the how the oh, holiday. And now, yeah, now Delray, and um, we went there. We used to go thirty plus years when I was little with my family and cousins, and we haven't been back there in a while. But I'm they looking turned to get Mar-a-Lago. Not Mar-a-Lago. No, <laughs> no, but Delray. Delray, that was the family vacation vibe, and I miss that place. I'm going to go. I'm going to go. There will be – all right, mark my words. In 2021, yes. Yes. I will record a podcast with you guys from Delray Beach because I have – I'm going. I'm Because you'll have the vaccine. Either way, I'm going. Can yes, you get us maybe the vaccine, the vaccine but Or when it calms down, I will be in Delray because I wanted to be in Florida this week or next week, and obviously we can't because – Cases are going crazy, so mm -hmm. but I will be in Delray and I will record a podcast via satellite from Delray with you guys, guaranteed because I got to get there. So you wanted to be there and you weren't, but can I ask how you did safely? Of course, ring in the new year. What did you guys do? I did nothing. Nothing. I did nothing. I stayed Wealthy? at home. I stayed at home. I played music. I was in bed by twelve to ten. And that's just what it was, you know? I was never a big New Year's guy, but I was in bed at 12.10. You know, I think I had two two drinks and What were you sipping it. on? I was sipping on um, spicy palumas. Okay. Big J-O-P drink. Yeah. Wealthy, what about you? Uh, just went two, two blocks down the street. There's this guy, Tony Wahish, that is uh, a friend of mine, viewer of the show. Is that the guy and, who owns um, a sneaker store out there? No, um, no. 
Are you sure I didn't see you at Swan Miami on Instagram? <laughs> <laughs> you were in Jersey? I was in, I was in Jersey. Okay. Uh, you were with Dave yeah. Grumman and OBJ at Swan Miami on New Year? All right, I think I, I posted I the picture picture of the New York City. Uh, it was kind of like a JLP-esque vibe. Okay. I saw that the, in the skyline. Okay. Yeah, in the background. But I was in Jersey City just with one other person responsibly taking in the New Year. Nothing. Uh, and done. you were in Hawaii at that point, right? Yeah, I was, okay. it wasn't like you guys, Yeah, it was with a small number of people, there were five of us total, we were tested, please don't get in the comments, yeah, I'm trying no. to be as respectful as possible, yeah, I did travel you. a little bit, but like I said, I am right there with all the government guidelines, so don't at me. I'm saving the best story. For last, this is this, this is like this is like <laughs> the on. Kardashian family uh, yeah. vacation oh where they, where they no, went no, to the no, island. No, no, it's yes. not. I was with twelve people. Yeah. I, I was with twelve people. We all yeah, got not. tested. I'm it saving the best story to, before we get to our guest for last. Uh, are, are you ready for the best story now, or should we get some more bars off? I don't no, know right what now. the best. I don't story know. Is. We got some bars. Maybe we need to extend the banter a little bit on these episodes. But <laughs> Tuesday, last Tuesday, a week ago, okay. I got I got I was you know hiking to a waterfall. I get a random DM. Yeah, you. I was I was here in Brooklyn. You were probably on a waterfall. I was eating poke in the North Shore. And we talk about podcasters. No, we talk about people listening to the podcast. Mm-hmm. I get a DM. Black Laser Fours. I know these are one of your favorites. I have a dead stock pair with OG box size 11 and a half, and I could hook it up for $600. What you offered wealthy for his pair. <laughs> I could send pics. My eBay is, I'm going to say his name and I'll mm-hmm, check mm-hmm. with him, Mike Wojo. If you want to check out the shoes and my feedback, just let me know. I bought the shoes for $600. <laughs> Wealthy, you missed <laughs> out. <laughs> he undercut wow. you. Uh, shout wow. out to Mike Wojo. He undercut you. And guess what? I got the shipping notification. I thought I was going to be able to hold them up right what now. What a moment but that would have been. And I have to wait till next week. But you got them? I got them. I got them. And I got the eBay authenticity. I got the eBay Oh God! You have the same thing as me, the eBay, the green eBay tag. Yeah. So no, and then I got an email saying um, we have authenticated it. I got the the authenticity certificate. They should be here. And look at our our faithful listeners. Shouts to Mike Wojo. Guess he's a reseller. I hope I'm pronouncing your name right. But had to. He said, "Oh, wealthy doesn't want to come off the shoes." He hit me up. Great price. I guess the now you're. Stuck I guess wealthy. the best. I guess the best part about it is that now I can have TG put them on his IG yeah. for a thousand dollars and yes. sell them and not feel bad about not giving Joe the sneakers it, it, of his dreams. Exactly, he did us all a favor, so props to him, and uh, thanks, thanks for for doing that. And listen, if he has eleven and a half in, in good sizes, I'm I'm definitely down to do biz again. So, um, yeah, I mean, what any else? other any other sneakers you guys picked up right before the year's end? I have to say, I was happy to cross off the last two shoes that I didn't get in in 2020 that i really wanted that i had tweeted about but easy foam runner i got a pair of those in the mail so i was doing those the whole time in hawaii yeah and then the chicago sb dunk low luker down in florida skate shop they hooked me up with those i think that shoe sucks really i was so happy to have them and, and, and put them on my feet real quick when i got back home from my safe quarantine fully covid tested vacation yeah I'm, I'm hyped about those sneakers i get this thing where it's like this weird confusion where i'm looking at the shoe like it's a colorway of a shoe on another shoe and when i look at it it just gives me this like weird deja vu sense and i can't deja really shoe? see it 
Yeah, Deja shoe. I gotta say, I gotta say one one more thing about the Foam Runners. That shoe is such a neck breaker. Like that that wow. is an old school sneaker yes. term that you don't hear very much anymore, and you don't use very much anymore because everything is hype and everybody's wearing crazy stuff. When you put that shoe on your feet, everyone to the people kayaking next to you to the lady at the urgent care is gonna ask, "What the fuck are those?" I love I love yeah. to see you and De Stefano. And this is the, listen that shoe seems like it's the shoe of the complex sneaker soul collector slack. I gotta get I got out the one. huge. I got the huge. Got the huge fit. Uh, Christmas yeah. Day fit off on the shoe, and ended up getting the most likes I've ever gotten on an IG I photo while wearing wow. the while wearing the foam. I'm runner. taking your guys' word for that shoe. When it releases in a darker colorway, I'm getting it. But before we go, you asked if we picked up any shoes. I saved a lot for this podcast because I didn't. You guys know I'm sentimental. Yes. Yeah. What do you think I got? This <laughs> every single week, man. No. Nope. There's like some SB that's nope, like $5,000. No, 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 no. Union. And we don't have to go into it. No, we talked about Union, Union 80s. Ladies. Already a long time ago. Uh-huh. Oh, God. Uh-huh. Kid Cudi Adidas. Kid Cudi Adidas, baby. You know Straight I had to Straight from the man himself? You know, no, I got, no. But you know, I had to get it just for the collection, man. Yes. You that's know. a nostalgic Joel Puma. I mean, nostalgic in that, like, it reminds you of an era. Obviously, it's a new shoe. Fun fact, uh, in 2009 or so, Cuddy was on tour. The True Blue 3s released, and I got him a pair. Oh, yeah. And he, he was uh, out of town at the time, and I got him an extra pair and um, gave them to him while he was on tour. So we got sneaker Isn't history, Isn't there a classic too. video of, like, him? Lift. I think he had too much He had too much to drink yeah. uh, at the club, and yeah, he's those, getting, like— those are la- he's getting I think ki- he was wearing Laser 4s. During that, oh. we'd have to check that. It all comes back around. Got I got the couple couple things. I got I got the oop on the Kith Kithmas. Oh yes, yes, yes. Uh, yes. Nine, I thought the oop nine, was nine, the name two. of the shoe. <laughs> no, yeah, how'd you get that? The, I didn't get that. Uh, I am, uh, I entered. Man, we got yeah Kithmas nine nine twos, and we all got the the Todd Snyder nine nine. Yes, we seven. did. Thank, Thank you for setting that up, Welty. Yes. Crispy shoe. Shout out, sh- shout out, Luke Allen on the plug on that. Thank okay. you. Also, I know we have to go, but before Queen hit me up, he heard the podcast with Derek Curry. I think a couple weeks back, we're in. We're we're, we're doing it. When okay. when we're back, we're safe. we're doing it. Vaccinated. Yes. When we're back, safe. We're back at Queen. And uh, with all that said, let's get to today's guest. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Our guest on today's podcast founded his sneaker website in 2006. It was one of the first sneaker blogs on the internet, and it quickly became a go-to outlet for sneaker news. Throughout the years, the website would adapt and evolve and built such a strong brand that in 2010, it opened its flagship retail store in Austin, Texas, an unprecedented move to go from URL to IRL. Besides opening his own store, the Nice Kicks brand was so powerful in the space, it yielded multiple collaborations on sneakers with New Balance, Asics, and Adidas. Our guest is someone for the past two decades who has lived and breathed footwear and has been at the forefront for every notable moment of the sneaker industry. Please welcome to the Complex Sneakers podcast, the founder and CEO of Nice Kicks, Matt Halfhill. Thank you very much, Joe. Pleasure to be here. Welcome. How are you, buddy? Good to I'm see great. you. Oh, thank you. Great to see you. I'm going to have you like write the forward to my book whenever that comes out. <laughs> hey, let's do it. Let's do it. Just say the word. Um, great to connect with you, man. We have a lot of history together, and you have a ton of history in sneakers. So I think it's good to kick off the year with uh, a brain like you who, get, who could give some advice and, and insight into the space and how it has changed. So um, I feel like you you guys alone have so much history that we could just go back and yeah. forth you two for the past 15 <laughs> years. <laughs> but yeah, let's get to it, Matt. I mean, everyone knows that. I, I think a lot of people know that kind of like, what is it, athlete's world or athlete's foot? Like that first, athlete's world, man. Yep. Yeah. So talk about that, how you got hooked. Man, so so actually the 20-year anniversary of my first day at, at the job is coming in just like a couple months. It was March okay. 30th, 2001, um, which I can't believe it's been 20 years. How old were um, you at the time? 16 years old. Mm-hmm. And my family had moved to Canada, and I wanted a, I wanted a job because, like, I mean, I'd only been going to that school for maybe a month or so or two months. And I don't know. I felt like it would be a way that I could get out of the house and maybe meet some people as well. Um, and I needed a new pair of shoes. I had a pair of shoes that was too tight on my feet. And I was like, well, you know, they'll probably have an employee discount on, on this. And, mm. you know, so I took the, you know, went for it and I came in, uh, wearing a, like a, a zoot suit to make an impression. And it definitely made an impression. <laughs> You're um, cherry popping daddy shit. <laughs> yep, exactly. So I was looking but, like Steve Harvey. Yeah. yeah but <laughs> so before sneakers, I was really big into music. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of people don't know. I played Dixieland jazz. I uh, played the banjo, um, which is definitely what? not the sexiest instrument to carry around <laughs> wow. high school. We're yep. already getting uh, the scoops. We're a couple minutes in. I had yeah. no clue. <laughs> <laughs> so I was I was hella into jazz. And nice licks, part of it, am like, I right? Huh? It was a pun. Nice licks instead of kicks. Like yeah, licks nice. on the <laughs> yeah, Anyways, yeah, carry exactly. on. Carry exactly. on. <laughs> Um, so, uh, you know, I had like, I, when, when swing became a thing, like the end, like in the back half of the nineties, I was like, hell yeah. Like, you know, like, can we, can we go back a decade further to Dixieland, you know, forget the big band, let's go to Dixieland, but never happened. Um, mm. but so I had Zuzu and I was like, you know what, I'll just go in and made an impression. Sure enough, the guy who was the hiring manager, um, was also a jazz musician. He played at a festival that I had played at in Chilliwack, BC. Um, so even though I was from California, like we had played up in Canada a few times and we just so happened to play at the same music festival. And that's what got me the call. And, uh, I got the job. So, so you started working at a sneaker store. This is basically a footlocker type store as a kid, right? 
it's an athlete's world. We are better than Foot Locker at that. No, okay. Not, but, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but were you selling cool stuff? Were there people lining up? Like, what was the scene like for you at the time? I mean, where were lines in 2001? Definitely not in yeah. Canada for sneakers. I mean, yeah. no, there's no lines. So we had great shoes. Like, we had everything. Um, didn't have a whole lot of assortment of retro Jordans. Those my, mainly went to the Vancouver doors. Um, I was in Victoria, BC, so we got it retro here and there kind of thing. But, um, you know, we had a lot of great stuff. And we also, too, like Athens World at the time, had an arrangement with Nike where we had like a special Nike shop attached to our store. Um, like a, you know, a secondary like shop and shop. Um, so we had all the great like high end Nike goods and that's where I really got to dive into the technology of everything was learning. And what models were it? What models specifically back then were catching your eye and like, okay, I'm very interested in these type of silhouettes and these classics. So I was really into learning the different types of air. So I, I loved anything that had tuned air. Um, the Air Max Tailwind was amazing at that time because you had the best, best of both worlds. You had Air Max four-foot heel as well as the tuned air on the inside for pronation. Um, and then I also loved, uh, you know, shocks had just come out. So I was mm-hmm. really into the new technology of shocks. Um, so R4s, you know, we had, we had the R4 plus, which added that nice Duralon four foot. Um, and then the BB4s, of course, like, especially because of Vince Carter, like it was the official shoe every kid in Canada wanted. Wow. So, yeah. So you're working at the retail store. When did you realize you wanted more out of sneakers? Cause you always have to go, if you create a website, that means that you got to a point where, okay, I work, I'm working retail, but I want to lean more into sneakers. So when yeah. did it come in your head that, I need to start a sneaker. I need to start a website and it has to be for sneakers. So before that, I was, I got a, I got a call like every Friday I was like working at the university doing like uh, chem intern stuff at the, at UVic where I eventually would go to school. And I got a call while I was there from my manager and I was like, I was sweating at first. I'm like, Oh shit. Did I forget that I had a shift or something like what, what's going mm-hmm. on here? So I call him back and he said that he had a bunch of shocks that were half price. And he had heard through stuff at the store. Like I was buying and selling musical instruments on eBay, you know, like mm-hmm. believe it or not, there are not a lot of four string banjos sold in Fresno, California, where I grew up. So, you know, I had to use eBay. That's where I got my feet wet with the internet commerce it was like in the eighth grade, I started building web pages and I also started buying and selling musical instruments on eBay. So he heard that and he had this idea of like, well, I wonder if I could get my store sales up and this kid could go sell our clearance stuff on the internet. And so I went in and he's like, look, if it doesn't sell, you can bring it back, return it. I'm like, all right. So I got nothing to lose here, right? So I buy these half price shocks XTs that came in this yellow, black and red colorway that did not release in the United States. They were only released in Canada and Asia. And I put them up on eBay. And sure enough, I sold like every pair that I bought within a day or two, and I sold them for more money in American dollars than I bought them in Canadian, which there was like a 40 cent spread on the currency at that time. So I was like, wow, I make almost as much on each pair as I do working a six hour shift at the store. I'll I'll, let me do more of this. So I started buying more and more of the clearance items, um, eventually leading to like buying out the stock and the company stock Canada wide of different items to put on eBay. And um, yeah, that's what I was doing. Uh, senior year. And then um, something like hit me where I was like, I paid a bunch of, you know, I was paying eBay fees, which at that time were not much, but mm-hmm. you know, 5% still was a lot on the gross, and especially when there was a slim margin profit. And I had this thing that hit me when I remember talking to a guy who came to the store, I asked him where he got the shoes that he was wearing. They were some vintage like Reebok 
uh, shoes. And he's like, oh, I got them on eBay. And I remember him saying that. And then like it hit me. I'm like, eBay's benefiting off of all my work. I'm bringing mm -hmm. all this product to eBay. I'm what? Yeah, I'm making money on the transactions, but the brand is eBay that people are remembering where they got their shoes, not from me. And I'm like, I need to build my own name. I need to build my own thing um, and build my own site where I can make a presence online. So that's where the that's where it came from. And all those sneakers that you were reselling, was it anything, again, collectible or, or rare at that time? Or you were just clearing out the stock that they had at Athletes World in Canada? So it, so the Yellow Shocks XTs were in demand because it was a colorway that wasn't sold in America. Mm -hmm. So like I, at that time, there was difference in distribution. Like we had special Eurocan releases in Canada. Mm -hmm. We also had some uh, drops that were Asia and Canada. Mm -hmm. And especially BC was kind of BC and Toronto were two markets that I believe Nike was using to test, like, you know, because they are such international destinations, like this bridge between, you know, other cultures and North America. Um, so we were getting things in those regions that just you didn't see in the United States. So I knew, like, I, I latched onto the idea that people online were looking for sneakers that they just couldn't get where they were. And yeah. And that's really where I fell in. That's where I started to learn about sneaker culture. Like before, like I liked cool sneakers, but I didn't understand. Like I never lived a place where there's like this, this insatiable demand for something mm -hmm. that no one else has like that, you know? So how did you make the jump to actually start the website? I gave my mom eight bucks and borrowed her credit card. <laughs> uh, <laughs> good investment. Yeah. Eight bucks. What was the eight bucks for? The domain name. Okay. Yeah. And I built, then I started building the website. And then how long before it became a real destination or you realized this is actually a thing that you could sustain yourself with? Um, so that was the original goal was to make 40 bucks every two weeks. That was the original okay. goal. And you made, a lot, going to, you made a lot more. I, you know what? I did not achieve my goal. I totally screwed up on that one. Um, but <laughs> yeah, you yeah, made no. a lot more than that. <laughs> yeah, it, it worked out well. Um, <laughs> and the original intent was, again, that I could, the $40 every two weeks, is that that was about what it would cost to fill my tank. Uh, for gas, and that was about how much gas I would use, like every two weeks. Um, and it was the idea was to to replace my replace working while I went to college. But, and you yeah. were just and you were just selling shocks on the website, or what else were you selling on the website at the time? Oh, I wasn't selling shocks on the website. I was selling oh, shocks only on eBay. No, I had only sold shocks on eBay. I so I was buying and selling things on eBay, and then in the background, or not in the background, but I was also building this website on the side. And website didn't really become like, I don't think transactions were happening until maybe August or September of that year. So, When did you transition the website from selling product to being a blog or a news site? So I started in 2005. I started, um, this was the start when Hype Beast, High Snobiety had just come out. High Snobiety, I think, was still on a blog spot. Mm -hmm. Hype Beast was on its own standalone.com. And I remember seeing it on the shoe forums, like people frequently referencing the site. So I went over and looked at it. And I thought Hype Beast was cool because it was show it was a different format of stuff. Um, and it was also like a window into shoes I wasn't seeing a lot of. Like, I mean, I understood, like I was like I thought SBs were cool, but I didn't know a whole ton about Bape. I didn't know a lot about like what drops were going on in terms of like the streetwear influence world. Um, so that was my window into this other like facet of interest that I just didn't 
have exposure to. Um, ironically enough, I lived like a mile or two from Kevin Ma in Vancouver when he had started Hypebeast. Um, and I actually started building a blog in 2005 and I started it and I actually called it sneakerhype.com. And it was kind of mm-hmm. like a nod to Kevin. Like I never intended for sneaker hype to be a website. It was just a test environment mm-hmm. for me to learn how to build and develop WordPress. And this is like WordPress 1.3. Um, Kevin used movable type at the time. I remember I actually reached out to him asking him what CMS he was using. Um, but so I built sneaker hype in 2005 and then nice kicks transitioned fully to a blog in April of 06. Um, do yeah. Do you, do you remember the first shoes that you blogged about? Yes. On the website, the stealth gray Jordan fives. Um, and actually the title was like new hyphen Jordan hyphen VS, like terrible URL or uh, slug <laughs> for the, for the post. Yeah. Because you became an SEO genius, uh, shortly after. So that would have never flowed. Was that, uh, no, so I did SEO far before I actually did SEO work while I was in high school. And I just didn't, I didn't realize that WordPress at that time, you couldn't, it wasn't built in yet where you could edit your slug, like it auto populated based on what your post title was. So yeah. I used to, man, my, my first writers hated me so much. I would make them write an SEO title, like an SEO, like focused title post and publish the thing, then go, go back, back and, and rewrite the title. Well, so the yeah, slug. Would, yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's <laughs> probably former complex writers that hate you too, because we were compared to you nonstop for SEO, because every time you searched a sneaker, the first thing that came up was nicekicks.com. You were a SEO wizard. So yeah, that I remember. And then images. And I just remember like uh, audience development people being like, you know, look at how nice kicks is doing it. And yeah, you from a early time, I, I didn't even know that. So high school, you came with the tools and that proved to yeah. be very, very, uh, very, very advantageous for you. Yeah. In Infotech 11, we had this project of building a website and I was like really into Mercedes, like E-classes uh, from the mid nineties, W124 uh, body style. And I built a website and it was like a, just like a, just for fun school project website, but I outranked Lorenzer on a bunch of keywords. Lorenzer, do you remember like a bunch of rap songs like Lorenzo rims? Like they're referring to Lorenzo rims and, and I, um, outranked them and I asked them, like, I actually contacted them about like, well, would, could we make a dropship arrangement here where I'll take orders for your wheels and then you, you know, fulfill the order, ship them to wherever. And they didn't go for that, but I still found it like kind of funny that here I was like 16 years old and outranked Lorenzo on a whole bunch of keywords for their own website. So but how long did it take the blog to actually take off then? And did you realize that this oh, was man. going to be like a thing for you? So when I first started the project of building a blog about it, I absolutely everybody thought I was crazy. Everybody was like, how can you possibly have a website where the nothing's for sale? No one's going to want to go to that. You know, how do you make money? And I'm, and like, this is even coming from my father who was like a marketing professor. I'm like, dad, you, you like, seriously, you have to think about a magazine, like magazine, not selling anything. Mm-hmm. And this was selling after you were space. making money. This is after you were making money. So when you were like, I want to transition into a blog. I want to go to, yeah, I want to do okay. a blog. And I, and from my keyword research stuff and everything like that, I'm like, look, it's, I, it's way easier for me to build traffic and monetize the traffic and monetize the audience and go that way than trying to source product to then sell. Like that's not the easiest thing. Like, especially when you don't have a brick and mortar store, you don't have a regular account with a brand, you don't have access to product easily, you know? So I found like I'm, I'm more, I'm better equipped for building audience online than, than doing 
retail transactions and you know traditional e-commerce uh buying and selling and so that's what i went with and like i mean our first month we definitely did quite well um right, right out of the gate because i like between that time of december of 05 when i started building the um when i finally launched sneaker hype and launching the blog of uh, nice kicks in 06 in april i had been building tons of content and pages that were already indexing in google by the time like the home page was a blog so i was already building traffic up the was back. there a moment when you felt like you were actually in the industry? Because I feel like for a lot of people who do this stuff online, they're in remote places and they're writing about shoes, but never necessarily seeing people face to face or getting the real recognition from the brands. Was there a distinct moment you remember where Nike knew who you were and Adidas knew who you were and Vans knew who you were? Um, in a way, yes. In a way, no. Joe remembers this. I was like frustrated as all hell because for years like blog or sorry, the brands didn't recognize us as a legitimate thing. Mm -hmm. And it was like, because we didn't have a print magazine or a television show or a radio program, we weren't like actual media in their eyes. And they, and so like for the longest time, like there would be media gatherings and nice kicks was not invited mm -hmm. unless you had a relationship through the PR in New York city. Like you weren't real media in the eyes of a lot of brands. It actually, ironically, it wasn't until I opened the store and there were 700 people lined up outside the store and the pictures went online and they're like, oh, so this website does like, that's real. Like this there's actual people. Yeah, it's a yeah. real thing. And um, before that, like I'd go to trade shows and most places wouldn't let you have access to the booth, let you see photos, let you see anything except like one guy at Reebok gave us that break, Paul Baklowski. Um, he gave us that break because he was a reader of the site. He's like, look, this is going to help me sell Reebok shoes if you can come into this booth and take photos of our upcoming stuff. He's like, this is just going to make it easier for people to know about what's coming up and what's going on with Reebok. So he had the foresight of that. Um, but a lot of brands, they didn't. So, but, but speaking of magazines, we need to get into this. The one magazine that did bet on you, you know, why you have a special relationship with this guy, Joe Puma was complex. So the complex network, he emailed me and it was about, it was around the time that we were looking to build the complex network. And I remember it started with four sites and we needed a sneaker. We basically needed to fill every vertical that we do. And I remember telling Rich Antonello, this is the one for sneakers. And it was right at the time when you like cold emailed me and yep. it worked out. And listen, I, I just remember it was such a great, time and talk about that you know like we've talked about it but talk about it on, from your side yeah so leading up to that i got a call out of the i got an email one time out of the blue from this uh reporter for the associated press sarah skidmore and she wrote a she wrote a, a article about sneakerheads and like what this there's like these people who have this obsession with shoes and it, I didn't know at the time it, it like went nationwide. It was in almost every newspaper in the country. And like the opening line is like Matt Hathill is a sneakerhead. Mm. That's how it started out. And it talked about me and what I was doing. And it like led to three phone calls that I will forever remember. First one was Jay Leno show. Second one was Martha Stewart. Third one was, um, what was his name? Peter Rubin at complex. Yeah. And yep. Peter Rubin was doing an article about, I can't remember what the topic was, but he needed a quote. 
And he wanted to ask, ask me some information about stuff with shoes. And then at the end of the, the thing, he showed it to me and he said, it's going to be in this coming issue. I was like, you know, I went into networking mode. I'm like, Hey, how, you know, who can I get in touch with over at complex? And he's like, Oh, there's this young kid. Uh, his name's Joe Lapuma. He runs the site. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll link, I'll give you his email. And that's yeah. when I hit you up. And do you still have that email? I know it was 2007. You guys first connected, but do. you still have the email in the archive. It's probably somewhere. somewhere. Yeah. I, well, I, I it, I think that was actually before I moved to Google Apps, so it probably oh. is not on my server. But but yeah, so then I remember, and then it, it, listen, we, we could be as transparent. You started making a lot of money, right, off of the ads, essentially, because Matt, um, I remember you coming. I remember you coming. We don't have to get into the details. <laughs> no, we need I know to you get could into always, <laughs> you, could, you could have always made a lot more money, but we don't have to get into the details. I just remember me living in Brooklyn in uh, an apartment. This guy would come to the city. I remember he would come to the city, Twenty Third Street. And he would be staying like he would. I'd be like, "Oh, where are you staying?" He basically he was like, "Oh, I'm staying in like Left Rack." And I'm like, "What are you? What are you doing <laughs> staying in in these areas? Like, you know, these these rough areas?" And he was like, "I don't know. I just got a good rate." And then you stayed at my apartment, and I remember uh, I'm in this little apartment in Brooklyn. I remember I was like on the little island eating dinner, and I'm and he's on my couch in basketball shorts with the laptop open. And I'm like, "What are you? What are you doing?" He's like, "Oh, I'm looking at some houses." And in, in Texas, <laughs> and, and I was like, this guy, and it just was a great relationship for both, kind of both sides. Yeah, it was, it was, it really was. Um, you know, when we, I remember when you, when you like introduced me to Moksha and Rich, I actually flew up there, um, like in a couple, like a couple days after I flew up to go meet everybody. And I, I think I stayed the first time in Jamaica. Yes, um, that's near what Jamaica it was. Station. I knew it. I knew it. I knew, <laughs> yes. yes. And I remember because he had an expensive camera, the backpack. He came into the yes. office. He had a backpack with a very expensive digital camera. And I'm like, bro, your back pocket is open and the camera is like exposed. <laughs> I was like, you can't walk around with that. And he's like, oh, okay, my bad, my bad. And I was like, you got to be careful. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cause this is again, like, I think I've been to New York one other time, yeah. which was for the air force 25th anniversary, which I slipped in with a retailer, like not on the books. Um, but the, this, like I'd never actually really walked the streets of New York. And the reason I stayed in Jamaica was I think it was like at, 80 bucks a night or something yep. like that. And I could not bring myself to spend a hundred dollars on a darn motel room. Like I just was not like going to do it. And then I like, I quickly learned that prices in New York city are a lot more than the roadside hotels in Tennessee. Um, so, but yeah, that was my first time up there. Um, and yeah, I, I came with, I brought that camera with me everywhere. Yeah. Looking back, do you think that was a good model? It was like a good model early in the days for kind of internet business. In what way? Basically, like it, the whole premise was, you guys have a lot of audience. We have a powerful sales team, and this was back in the day. And oh. so, so the the partnership basically checked both boxes. Do, would you would you say like for you know we, we talk about business now in twenty twenty one, it's totally different. But do you think looking back, it was kind of like a genius idea? I think it was a good. I think it was a good model. I, I, I really do think. Um, I think that it was best when it was at that time. I mean. I, I think that the just like with a lot of uh, conference realignment, if you're much of a fan of college sports, a lot of conferences start to have trouble when you start to grow too big. 
And I think that in hindsight, I think the only thing that I wish I had done more was just being a little bit more vocal because like, I mean, I really was respected as a leader of the sneaker vertical amongst the network sites. Definitely. Uh, I mean, I recruited in a ton of sites, not just for the sneaker vertical, but for other like high snobiety dime magazine, like Mm -hmm. a bunch of sites. I was cold calling them saying, Hey, I'd like you guys to meet some folks at complex. Cause I knew for us, it was only going to assist Moksha, Edgar, and all of his team to sell ads if we had a bunch of other premium sites in the network. Right. Um, so and I you think guys that were the it, biggest. You guys got the biggest piece of the yeah. pie because you had the biggest audience. Yeah. So I think that 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 was. Um, I think that as it grows, like anything that grows out, you know. And look, we've made the same mistake. As you grow, sometimes you do lose sight of what what were the best parts of it. Um, and like we did that, like when we expanded into retail, like. I had always from the very get go wanted retail to just be an offline extension of the digital brand. But the problem is, is that when you're sitting on a couple hundred thousand dollars worth of inventory, it is going to influence your editorial coverage. Yeah. It is going to have some way that affects your, the way you normally do business. And the biggest problem that it caused was while brands at first were okay with it, right. a couple of years in the brands were like, Oh no, we need you to change your rules on how you operate. And, and that's always, when it became yeah. a big problem. You always bring that up. And do you think going back to what you said, it is if you're sitting on stock, it's going to organically influence how you do editorial? Is it just like an urge to be like, this is actually a really good shoe that's not moving. We have these pipes to to promote it and we really can't. Is that basically it? Yeah. I mean, it, it becomes one of those things. You You're buying for the when you're buying for the store, you're, you have to buy based on like what's going to sell locally as well as what's going to have traction online. But you know, in the editorial world, like we know there are certain shoes that we're just not a big fan of, but Mm -hmm. we know they're going to be a big commercial driver. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard to authentically be in both. And um, I prefer much more the model we have now that we're doing where it's, it's, you know, an affiliate relationship or, you know, probably the next iteration for us will be is like a selected shop where it's only specific product that is carried in on a, on a different, on different terms. Because like I, part of like what made nice kicks, nice kicks was like, we weren't going to just shove some whack shit down your throat and tell you it's good. Mm-hmm. You know, like that, that's just not what it is. People build trust with you because you keep it real with them. And you do highlight the good things. And I think the, the thing that we always did that we thought about before was like, we didn't drag a bad shoe through the mud. We gave, we did something even worse, which was we gave it no coverage. And I feel like that is the ultimate way as a, as somebody in editorial to give a bad review is don't give it light. Matt, one of the, one of the things too, I know I want to talk about the store, but w- one of the other people you met while you were in New York, that's a big part of the nice kick story is that you ended up, you know, meeting Ronnie Feig, you guys do the Ronnie Feig A6 gel lights, which I feel like were massive for his brand and your brand at at the same time. And that was like one of the, like the first like internet, you know, sneakers that were birthed out of the internet and were big online. Yeah. So we, I met Ronnie actually on my first trip to New York City. I came up for the Air Force 25th anniversary. Mm-hmm. This was December of 06. And I walked over to um, I walked over to the shop, the David Z store on uh, Two Fifty Two Broadway, mm-hmm. and um, he was working there. And he showed me his upcoming Timberland. He also showed me his Kith collection, his Kith gear for, at that time. That was the first time I saw anything Kith. It was like t-shirts, and right? T-shirts, and he had like a bomber jacket and a couple other things there. Mm-hmm. Um, and like some of the employees in the store had the, had the gear on. I remember, but um, I, he gave me a pair of. Um, 
of ma- handmade made in Dominican Republic Timberland boots, like one of 48 pairs kind of thing. Um, and he showed me at the time the samples of the gel light threes he was working on. Um, and so that was the first time I saw those that, you know, then came, um, I think they called it the two, five, two back in, in, uh, yeah. May or June yep. of, of 07. Um, and you like Ronnie and I were really close. Like I went to his place up, I, I think this was 2007 for his birthday. Uh, and I stayed at his place several times. Um, he was staying in, deep out neck. in Queens too. He was probably one train stop away <laughs> from his childhood. Great home. neck. Yeah. Was, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and the, the, I worked with Ronnie like early on in how to craft the, the storytelling around his product. And we like built this cadence of like, this is the first image that goes out. Like it's a teaser photo. And then like, here's a little bit more reveal, a little more reveal, a little more reveal. And how do you stretch out like the, the conversation of what's to come kind of thing. Um, and we actually then worked on a project um, in, we started in 2008, I think it was. And the product yeah. didn't, the, the red gel light threes didn't drop till 2009, um, October. And that one was, I think like a really, di- if you look at the line of, of his gel light threes, that was the first time that it went to only being primarily like one color on the shoe. He had been yeah. doing like multiple colors, mm-hmm. multiple materials and textures. Mm-hmm. And this one was kind of a departure on that. That one is, is very much in your face, like red. And that was, um, you know, it was very like nice kicks branded. I mean, I actually think I sent some early design mock-ups of some other concepts to Joe and Joe's like, this isn't nice kicks enough. You know, I just, he's <laughs> like, I don't feel like this is nice kicks. And I'm like, all right, good point. And we had just switched, you know, to, we really adopted this red color that had this, this hue. And I'm like, oh, I know how to make it nice kicks. I'm just like cover that shoe as much as possible with that red. Um, and still balance the color with the different uh, elements through the shoe in the gray and the white. Um, and that shoe like sold out. I mean, it, and that was like one of the first ones, I think too, where it dropped online was like immediately like selling through and, made this David C website crash like a couple times, like perfect, perfect red tonal colorway. Yeah. Another aside that we got to get to really quick, the history of celebrity sneaker stalker. One, listen, oh, one of my, yes. one of my <laughs> proudest <laughs> moments, one of my proudest moments I pitch. And, and if you, to be honest, I talk about this a lot and I think about this a lot. Sneaker shopping is the IRL version of celebrity sneakers. Absolutely. Stalker. I, yeah. and what were you, I think it was a hundred a month or it wasn't a hundred a week. I was like, Matt, I think we should do a column on your website. It yep. should be celebrity sneaker stalker. For some reason it wasn't, nope. we didn't do it, it on, yeah, we didn't do it on complex. Yeah, go ahead. It was, you first said it was first what they wore, okay. colon, celebrity sneaker stalker. Okay. Alliterations and, everywhere okay, on that exactly. one. I, I loved it. Yeah, <laughs> and so. I was like, listen, people care about what celebrities are wearing and we should do this yeah. column. And we did it yeah. for years. And I remember it was like $100. And it's so funny because, like, to close Wait, who, the loop, who was who was who was getting a hundred dollars? He was paying you hundred bucks. He to paid write me. It? He was okay, paying okay, me. Gotcha, yeah, gotcha. as a special column. Yeah, and back then it was. Listen, it, I needed a hundred dollars, and I, <laughs> you needed to buy no, a house like, of your own. No, like you know, any little bit helped, and I was like, you know, I love this column, which I still do. I still love the column. Also, for sneaker shopping, I still research celebrity sneaker stalker, and Ian Stonebrook ended up taking it over, and. But that was another piece of sneaker media history that we have. Yeah. So uh, around that time, I pitched him this column and, and Matt was like, yeah, let's do it. And, and I still, I love seeing the Celebrity Sneaker Stalker Awards and, and all that stuff. So yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, we, it was it was like the compliment. So what I learned from you and Complex was like how much celebrities like influence culture. Like, you know, yes. for me, like I looked at much more on like the sports side of things mm -hmm. um, when I looked to outside influences on, on footwear, I guess just because of the athletic part. Um, so we had that base covered again with like first with kicks on court. And yeah. then like this, we found like when you brought it to my attention, I was like, oh, wow, this is like the perfect like. This is the other vertical that really has a tremendous influence on footwear, which is celebrity. Um, and yeah, that was, I mean, that was, that was a great thing. Interesting thing about the ASICS project too, is it came out before you actually had a retail store. You opened a retail store in 2010, right? Like when, when you mm -hmm. were starting that store, was it a big gamble for you? Because you're already making good money. You're part of the complex ad network. You have this big sales team to leverage your, your millions of your millions of viewers. But like, were you were you worried about making this transition into retail? I think in hindsight, if there's one thing I look back, I didn't put enough care and thought into it of like mm -hmm. what the potential risks were. I think that if I look at my life, my biggest regret is I didn't take more L's earlier. Mm -hmm. And so when you, the problem is that when you continue to have successes where you don't, where you aren't facing a lot of losses is that you don't go, you make decisions, not thinking, how could this go bad mm -hmm. or what could go wrong? And so I, you know, that was another thing. Like I didn't appreciate how much of an effect it would have on down the road in a couple of years that as the site got bigger and became something such an integral part of you know, the business of these different brands, like by 2012 or 13, someone at um, a research group in Austin, Spreadfast, uh, Nate Jaff, he discovered that Nice Kicks was the largest, like, traffic, like the most influential Twitter account in terms of sending traffic in this whole sneaker sphere, more than LeBron James, mm -hmm. Kevin Durant at Nike store. And we were the largest upstream traffic driver on the web to Nike. And like no affiliate money or anything like that. Yeah. Um, Moxie was not allowing that. Um, and we were, <laughs> so we, uh, but I think that what happened with that is like our growth ultimately became a liability in the relationship with the big, with the brands here, we were a retailer, but then we were also getting so much bloody traffic and so much influence. And I don't think that the brands necessarily liked that or they had retail partners who didn't like it. One of the two. But I remember distinctly somebody at Nike's words is, we treat you no different than we do Foot Locker. And I'm like, um, I got one store in Austin, Texas. Foot Locker has 3,000 stores. I think there's a little difference, bro. But like, still, they wanted the same rules. They wanted Nice Kicks to be, uh, NiceKicks.com, an editorial site, mm -hmm. um, to be under the same rules and restrictions that a Foot Locker would. And I'm like, you, like, I don't understand how you, don't understand there's a difference but whatever and you and you ended up doing more collaborations though through nice kicks where you had you know multiple new balance projects yep. i remember there's a story there's a story where you know it's the top 10 end of the sneakers of the year and i forget the whole cast of characters but it's joe joe clark kent um i don't know mayor frank the butcher all that whole crowd was there and you didn't even have the shoe yet. You had a picture of it on a piece of paper and the shoe hadn't even dropped yet. And somehow you convinced everyone that it was a top 10 sneaker. Is that true? made it on the complex list That's off a crazy. piece of paper. No wonder Mayor hated, hated me for a minute. Ronnie was there too. Ronnie was yeah. um, at that one as well. I don't um, remember that. Wait, so it didn't release. We had a printout and it still made it? Yeah. It still made it. Yeah. <laughs> no wonder Mayor yeah. threatened to put me in the, in the bathroom in Charlotte. <laughs> 
Wow. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. No, that was the 1500. That was, um, that was our first new balance project. Um, and it's still one of my favorites. I love that one. Um, and we did a 1600 as well. Five, seven, four. Um, the 1600 was, um, was, I think that one was my favorite one just because like I, I picked every single panel and, and material on that shoe. And there was like a meaning behind every single one on that one, but I loved working with new balance. Um, another group I really loved, you didn't mention them was, um, earlier was Vans. I did two Vans, uh, projects, um, and really enjoyed working with them as well. Um, but yeah, we did Adidas, um, Vans. What are the nice kicks projects that never came out? Because I know you have in the back of your head or on a computer somewhere, a cat of a Nike shoe that never happened that you were trying to make happen. I have so like, I probably have on, on like in the background, I have like three or four shoes of every brand. And a lot of these were never pitched. Mm -hmm. They're just ones that I've just sat on and just, I mean, still. Did you ever get close with a brand like Nike to making a nice kick six Nike shoe? Mm, I, I never, I never did. I mean, of course I'd know what I'd do depending on the different models, but like that was Nike was just one of those, like you just didn't ever consider it would ever be a, a thing. So, you know, lofty dream, but you never take, I never took that one seriously. Yeah. Switching gears and talking about Nike and collaborations a little bit. We have to talk about the black Friday, you trailing DJ Clark oh for that air gosh, force yes. one for that air force one yes. trip. Talk about, can you explain, listen, Matt, explain to people who may not, ever know what exactly this was from start to finish what this was and how you decided to trail him and where you went <laughs> yeah so it was the most secret nike release at the time okay. there were no photos and clark did a fantastic job of like just pounding on the table you will not leak this okay. and uh this is a black friday air force one and what year? Derek what year 2008 Okay. Yeah. So 2008. Yeah. And it was, there had been a couple of black, I think there was one black Friday release before a year or so, but it wasn't like nobody had made like a really big sneaker event out of it. It mm-hmm. just so happened to be like a retro drop in 07. Um, but Clark really made black Friday a holiday. He made it an event that, that sneakers like, and I remember the year after every company had a sneaker release, like even I think Supra had a black Friday shoe. Um, but he wouldn't show me the photo of the shoe. Um, and the, he dropped a mixtape for it. I remember he made a mixtape yes. for it. And Vaughn <laughs> had a track on there. And oh my gosh, it was it was awesome. But it started in New York at 21 Mercer. And it, it like dropped at midnight or early morning there. How did he convince you to come, Matt? He how didn't. Did he... I, yeah, I, how did he convince me? We were talking and I was like, this is going to sound so crazy. I'm like, Clark. And he was telling me like what he was doing. He was going to three cities. He was going to New York, then up to Boston to Concepts, and then Shoe Gallery in Miami. And then he was performing at um, a Friday night show there, Flash Friday, I think it was called, down in South okay. Beach. And I'd never seen Clark DJ ever. And he all, and he told me like along the trip, like you just wait, just wait. You think this sneaker shit's cool? You just wait. Now you're gonna you know, really see why I'm DJ Clark Kent. Okay, but like the. So I, I can't remember what the con- how the conversation went, but he was like telling me about it. I'm like, Clark, is it cool if I come along and just like capture this, like yeah. just see it in in person? And he's like, Yeah, sure. I don't see anything wrong. Like, cool, yeah. So I bought my plane tickets like I think on the Tuesday or the Monday of Thanksgiving week. I left Thanksgiving dinner to go to the airport 
to fly out Thanksgiving night to New York City. I land like in the middle of the night. I don't get a hotel room in Jamaica this time. And I go straight <laughs> to 21 Mercer and I get in a cat. I get in, I meet somebody in the airport and I didn't understand at the time yet. This is pre Uber. I didn't understand there were people who were like unlicensed cab drivers. So I get in the car with some guy who is running an illegal cab and it was cash only. Yeah. And I get down to 21 Mercer and I'm waiting out there for a couple hours and go in there and that's where it started. But then, yeah, followed him up to Boston then down to Miami and that Crazy. was unreal just to see the lineups everywhere. And yeah. Matt, one of the things I think that uh nice kicks biggest impact on sneaker media was, is that you were the first like corporate or at least like bigger brand that had its own sneaker YouTube channel that really mm-hmm. kind of revolutionized yep. sneaker YouTube. Um, do you want to just talk about that in like, what happened to it? Cause obviously it's the brand isn't doing it anymore, but it's impact on sneakers. Yeah. So the first sneaker YouTube videos or the first sneaker videos I actually did in 2007, I did the show called kicking it. And it was really similar to like what sneak peek became in 2012 or 13. That was kind of the blueprint for it. <laughs> um, and the idea was going into somebody's closet and they'd walk through the collection. They show some of the pieces, they tell some stories about the product. Um, this was done, I think, I don't know if I put it on YouTube, but I, I think eventually I did. I first did it on flash video and had a flash video player on my website. And the reason was I didn't want to have that ugly YouTube logo in the corner of the video that you embed on your website. I thought that looked so tacky. I was like, how do I post a video without having this stupid watermark on it? Um, so I like bought a camera, HD camera. Gosh, the thing was so bloody expensive to do this project. Um, but then we, we did, we did get into YouTube like 2012 or so um, and like seriously uh, uploading videos about sneakers. And there had been like, we definitely weren't the first people on YouTube. I mean, people were doing like what they called reviews, which was really just like, I open the shoe. For, yeah. Let yeah. me, let me read you the color description of the shoe and hold it up. And that's <laughs> comparably a review, um, you know, like, but I felt like there were, there could be more with, the storytelling give you more insight mm. information history on the shoes so we created like several different video columns or whatever on that um and it was i mean i think that in hindsight like just like a lot of things we didn't really recognize the impact it was having you know the the problem was like it wasn't really monetized a lot of it yeah a lot of the videos used samples that weren't cleared or mm. whatever and like mm. we didn't really have much revenue off those videos so Unfortunately, like I think that I didn't put the value on it that I could have. We also did. We developed this before even Complex was even valuing YouTube or video. Totally. So was, we didn't have. Yeah. Nobody was Big out there to George sell Keel our series. Down. So we were. I was purely dumping money into this thing. And it was expensive. Videos expensive. Videos of yes. fortune. Yes. People do not get how expensive yeah. it is. Um, we and still got even on more Complex so- Closets episodes. We still get sneak peek comments because. It was this, you know, sneak peek was a earlier total early iteration yeah. of complex closets. Yep. Yes. Yes. And I feel like you guys too, not to not to doubt anyone, but there's like a lot of early on sneaker personalities that you guys like made them into yes. who they were through showing their collections on the internet. I mean, there are a lot of people who were like, I think in season one of sneaker shopping, there were a lot of those guys were people from sneak uh, from sneak peek, and there are a lot of people through like you know, I guess people who are big personalities today that that was their first, like, I don't know, 
other screen or other thing than their own personal channel. Because you had like yeah. Mayor, The Perfect Pair, um, things like that. And those videos have like millions and millions of views on the internet, you know? When I shoot Complex Closets, like the game, he still has standout pairs from Sneak Peek that I saw yeah. years ago. So they, it definitely yeah. was was an early iteration that that kind of laid the foundation for for what what we do now a lot. Yeah. Yeah, and I think too, and I think that part of why I started to like lose steam on like the reboot of, of YouTube too, is that YouTube changed quite a bit too. Like mm -hmm. when we created sneak peek and we created our vid other videos, we didn't create them for the platform specific thing of YouTube. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's two ways to, or I mean, there's a lot of ways you can approach YouTube. I don't want to be so black and white, but like the, the way that seems to perform the best is when you build your video and your content specifically geared towards YouTube. And that means like, like the tagline says, broadcast yourself. It's very much like, I don't know, a selfie perspective on video, which we've never been that. Like, I, right. I really do not like, I mean, I cringed forever whenever I would hear the words personal brand said together. I'm like, stop, like, do good work, build a brand. That's your brand. You know, like it, it just, but YouTube, I feel it's so much about who you are and not about the subject matter of what you're doing. And I always felt like, you know, that was a problem that like with a lot of what sneaker YouTube is, is it's not about the shoes. It's about the person. And if you, if you want to do it that, then like call it that it's a reality show where you just so happen where the sneakers are nothing more than a prop. But for me, I always wanted the video and the content to be about the shoes and the product and the person, not the host. And I think that that's where like, I, yeah, I just, I, I have a love hate with what YouTube is. Except full size run. Yeah. And sneaker shopping. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, no, like, I mean, I was going to say you guys are different. Like no, 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 I no, feel no. like what, what you do is that could go over to television just fine. Mm -hmm. Cause that's like, we're ready very much. Like it's not, it wasn't made for the platform. It was a good quality video. It. it just so happens to be distributed through a platform. Matt, I want to talk more about where Nice Kicks is right now. I know you mentioned earlier you're, you're focused on the site now and the retail operation. You're not a part of it. Can you tell me the process about selling the store and selling off your piece of the store? And was that hard for you to walk away from this business you had built up? I mean, it was and wasn't. Um, by the time that it was coming to sell, like, I mean, I was given an ultimatum by somebody at a brand I won't mention. And they basically had said, like, well, it's no big deal. Just don't post shoes before they come out. I'm like, mm, not going to happen. Can't do that. Like, okay, impossible. Well, yeah, can't do that. Right. <laughs> and he's like, okay, well then no big deal. Just don't use the website anymore. Just sell store, sell things in your store. And I'm like, oh, you really don't fucking get it. All right. So that's when I was just like, <laughs> like, and I look in hindsight, like I'd rather, rather shut down the store and whatever, take the L on that than, mm -hmm. than lose the website. Yeah. Um, so I sold the store. I'm like, well, this is one way to get rid of these restrictions and constant headache. What year was that? So I sold it. This is 2014. Yeah, were, were the negotiations so long? Years. How how long of a process was that? No, it wasn't too long. It wasn't too long. I wish that it had been longer, like to just hammer out or iron out details or whatever. But like it was 2014, sold it. Um, so it's been more than six years, which I can't believe. I mean, it's been. You, yeah, I remember you guys put out. You had to put out like a disclaimer or something on the website. I remember like the day that it happened. There was like this post where it's like, "Nice Kicks is now owned by Shoe Palace." Here's what well, the future means for the wasn't brand. Wasn't Nice Kicks know? is owned by Shoe Palace? Nice Kicks yeah. retail was acquired by the end. Yeah, and that was one of those details that I. I, 
you know, it wasn't supposed to go this way. Um, it was not supposed to be so publicly known that the retail was operated by, because I had said from the beginning, the way that you're going to, you got to protect the brand. If you like, why would you buy a brand and then destroy the brand? Like if you don't intend, if you don't protect it, why buy it kind of thing? So I felt like, you know, that, that was, but I remember that was like October of 14 that, you know, that was sold. Did you, was there a sigh of relief? Was it, was it hard? Like, I mean, that's your baby, um, right? Yeah. No, it's not my baby. Remember like the retail store is not my baby. It never was nice kicks. Retail was always just a secondary project. Mm. It never was like whenever people are like, Oh, you sold nice. Cause I'm like, fuck you talking about. No, it didn't sell nice kicks. Mm. You I sold own. Yeah. I sold an offshoot of nice kicks. Mm. I mean, that's not nice kicks. Mm. Like at the end of the day, the, the web and social is what even made something like that possible. Mm-hmm. The heart of everything will always be the digital brand. Mm-hmm. And so that was, I think, the, the problem that I felt and the, the conflict I faced afterwards was there was confusion in the marketplace over what Nice Kicks was. Because yes. on one side, if you had a brand who was very driven and sales motivated, they're like, oh, well, it's Nice Kicks, the retail store. It, and like whoever owns the retail store is in control of nice kicks. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like you're talking about one store in Austin, Texas, or now like three or four stores mm-hmm. versus 4.1 million people dialed in on, on just the Instagram, forget all the other social media and website. What do you think is actually going to move the needle for not just your brand, you know, who insert whatever brand you are, but what the, what nice kicks represents to people. Because I remember one of the things that happened, you know, uh, shortly after that, which I guess was a big moment for Nice Kicks, either the store, the brand, whatever, is you guys had that Adidas NMD. Which I worked. Which Nick DePaula was, I think he was also involved in in Nice Kicks at the time. Is I didn't know. He was was on the team. But so that that came to light. That was actually the the design was taken over by the folks at Adidas um, because the initial designs that were done. So this was done without my knowledge. That was um, the tie dye one. That was the tie. Yeah. Black red tie dye. Black red. Yeah. Um, so they the, were like the, selling the, for like a thousand dollars at some yeah, point those too. Went like, off. <laughs> but Matt, to your point, there was like some gray area of, it got to be gray area of who was working on what, how much involvement were you in? Yes. So that one is the only project that was brought by the retail group post sale that we were involved in the marketing of and storytelling of it's probably the only one that you that you will probably list this memorable collab since i mean i think that one of the things about it was that we were very like we brought and used the formula we used for all our other storytelling projects where we introduce it to market we get the product out there we get the video shot the, the photos everything the rollout um, and that's why it was a success. I mean, I, if you still search Nice Kicks NMD, almost every single photo you're going to see in Google Images were the ones that we shot or the videos that we produced on it. Um, and that one was, again, that was done largely in collaboration with Adidas and, you know, on, on the design side. And we put the storytelling out there. Matt, I want to talk, you know, when you and I talk, we talk a lot about the state of media and we have conversations like website versus social first now. Where do you stand? And if you could give advice, we, you know, we get tons of DMs, us three, and, and I'm sure you do too, about media advice. For someone who's looking to get into sneaker media right now, what is like a piece of advice that you could give? 
Well, lately I've been getting a bunch of questions about diet and exercise advice. But, exactly. Um, well, yes. that ties <laughs> yeah. in. That ties in. And, and we were going to talk about that too. Like, yeah. did you take a step back and like, or not take a step back, but like you've, you've had such a crazy transformation that you posted about on your Instagram a couple of days ago. And yeah, if that fits into, to the advice by all means. Yeah, no. So, so on, on the web thing, web is still a very important part. In fact, like this year, this pandemic has been fantastic for us not the pandemic but like this year has been and i think what happened was because of the pandemic and us being locked in we like had to really evaluate what we were doing every facet of the business and as a company i have double the headcount of team that i had pre-pandemic we've doubled in size whereas we've seen some competitors in our space like shed 33 percent 25 percent 30 percent of their of their workforce um We've doubled our headcount. We've kept our costs low because we did we we made some moves at the start of the year and you know before the pandemic and we, you know like our, our overhead has only gone up like about 18, 20% from a year ago, but our headcounts more than doubled. Our web audience has grown 259%. Instagram engagement is up 243, Twitter up 313%. So we've had just a like the best year we've had in well over a decade in terms of growth. Um Web is still a very important part of the business. Now, if you ask me, what would I do today? Would I go into, would I do a website? I would build a website if I couldn't achieve what I wanted to on social with it. And there are certain things that you will not be able to achieve on social that a website can provide. And so I look at, I look at web for the first time ever. I really look at web as not being a mothership, but just another channel. And I think that's what kind of held us back in terms of our different platforms was that I still treated the website as the mothership, that everything on social was a tentacle of what was the web. And now I see it as just like there's Instagram, there's Twitter, there's web, like treating them as their own separate verticals. Um, but website's still very important to us. And we saw that the series with the, with the guy, are you continuing that? Or was that just like a couple weeks or, or it was... What was that series? What, with what like series? The, uh, the Instagram series. Shock Drop? Yeah. What, oh, we got it? one coming. Okay. Yeah, we got one coming. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Shock Drop. Yeah, so that one that one, like did really well. Um, and that was, that was something that our creative director, Gabe Ocean, who actually worked with me. If you dig up some old Nice Kicks videos, live look, back in like 12, he worked for us. Oh, wow. He actually came online when we were doing contract work for the Finish Line blog, like back in 2012 or 13. Um but he, uh, yeah, he, he rejoined the team and he, he did shock drop and I love that show. Yeah. Didn't Chew Palace recently get, uh, acquired by JD sports? Is yeah. That-, that JD sports acquired, uh, uh, Shoe Palace. In, um, I know they were, uh, acquired they acquired finish, finish line. line. Yeah. In 2018, a- I believe as well, but now they acquired, uh, Chew Palace, which acquires nice kicks, I guess, in, in the, by like collateral. Um, I believe I'm not hundred percent sure on the, the ownership structure of, of that entity, but I believe I've read some reports that it's part of the sale that it's part of the deal. And I mean, I know you said it's like not your baby, but is it just kind of like, I wish I had held on like this much longer. No, to not cash at all. In? Nope. Not at all. I didn't do this for the money and I definitely didn't do the retail for the money. And Matt, one thing I talked to you a couple of days ago, you know, the white Jordan ones now I feel like are your signature shoe. That's all you talk about is these white Yo, Jordan ones. That's, let's what, say what, what are, do, what it's like your signature now. Do you, st- I know that you still love sneakers, but 
are are you buying? Are you excited about new releases? What's the last release that big release? Before we go, I want to know like how you feel about a Dior Jordan One, a Ben and Jerry's Chunky Dunk, and the releases like that because we've seen it. We've seen releases, you know, the athletes world where you're into technology and now the story is getting crazier and the collaborations getting even bigger. How do you feel about the state of like product right now and those energy releases? So I, I definitely still geek out over certain shoes. Um, I was about to throw on my, my sale Jordan ones today, but I actually <laughs> threw on my, <laughs> I threw on my, my, uh, second best pair of nudes, which is my, uh, my off white colored, um, Adidas rivalries. So okay. getting those more rotation. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I've had thousands of pairs of shoes through my life mm-hmm. and I'm at the point now where like, I still love shoes. I just love them in a different way. You know, at, at once upon a time, like the Transformer Jordan or the Transformer Air Trainer 3 is a perfect example of this. Okay. I saw that shoe and yeah. I thought it was such a fantastic execution of color and material stories that tiptoed the line of getting of infringement without mm-hmm. an, an official collaboration. Is that the gray, blue and red one? Yeah. Uh, okay. Red, blue. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, with the neon laces. Yeah. And the sample, the sample had the Transformer uh, uh tag on it i remember and i think like the shoe ended up not coming out with right with it. yeah so those didn't yeah they, they just wrote the font in a way that looked like the transformer yeah. font but again like at that time i thought that was so cool that they tiptoed the line and mm-hmm. they made this amazing execution and that was enough of a reason for me to buy this shoe God. i was never gonna wear it i didn't yeah. want to wear that shoe like i never have but I, i'm like that's such a great storytelling and material execution i gotta buy it just to have I'm not at that point anymore. Like if I can't wear it <laughs> on such, it gets so much use out of it. I don't want it. Oh, and, and now for me, like I have my rotation of like wearable shoes that I wear for lots of occasions. And then the other thing is training. Like if I can use it for running or training, mm-hmm. um, I'm buying it, you know? So like I'm still buying shoes, but they're ones that, uh, have, I have to get use out of for whatever athletic purpose it is or, versatile wear and honestly congratulations on all the the athletic progress man and and you know we read that message a few days ago you know and um yeah healthy healthy lifestyle so so props to you we see you in the under armor you working on under you working on an under armor deal yeah i don't know we'll see you and steph curry you're gonna get the steph curry umbrella brand i've been i've been saying it forever there are athletes out there who don't play professional sports or in the Olympics or in college. There are a lot of athletes who go to go to play every single day. And I'm still surprised that at this point, there hasn't been a brand that has really stepped up and recognized that there is this sport called evolution and transformation. And there are more people who play that sport than, than at the pro level. Give the man a deal. Wow. Perfect. Perfect way to end. I think if you guys are good, I'm, I'm good. Great chopping yep. it up with you, Matt. Um, I'm glad that this is kind of like our first our first episode back in in 2020 in 2021. It's ceremonious that it would be with you. So uh, thanks oh, so much thank for you, joining, dude. and keep us updated with what you got going on. And, and uh, we'll talk to you soon, man. Hey, absolutely, guys, absolutely. Thank you for this. No problem. Appreciate it, Matt. Thanks, Matt. Our producer is Dave Matthews. Our associate producer is Jasmine Plata. Sound engineering done by Kyle Garvey. Special thanks to Jennifer Stewart and Shiva Bayet. The Complex Sneakers Podcast is a production of the Complex Podcast Network.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 